All right. Thank you for tuning in to another founder interview on the Forward Thinking Media Network. Um, as always, if you want to tune in live to these interviews and ask questions live on the record, then become a subscriber of Forward Thinking Media. Go to forwardthinking.substack.com, decide to be a paid subscriber. And one of the many things you get as a paid subscriber is the ability to sit in on the Zoom calls as I'm recording and the ability to ask questions at the end. So if you want that, go to forwardthinking.substack.com and I'll see you on the other side. Let's get into today's episode. All right. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their business for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Justin Jackson, who is a co-founder of Transistor.fm. Welcome to the show. How's it going? I'm doing well. It's fun to be here. Yeah, it's fun I, to I have love, you on. I love being on podcasts. It's, it's one of my favorite things. <laughs> what, 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 do you, what do you like about them the most? Of like your favorite things about being on podcasts, what's your favorite thing about them? Well, I mean, I'm pretty social. And so it's just another opportunity to hang out with people. I find that speaking things out loud helps me to clarify my thinking. And so when you have other people, you know, when you're chatting with somebody and you're asking questions and you're having a conversation, just having to express yourself in the moment. Yeah, it often leads to some really good blog posts or good podcast episodes on my side. So yeah, or, or just even good, uh, like problem solving for the business or my personal life or whatever. So yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, I, I love both sides of it. I mean, I'm more often the interviewer, like I, you know, I, I have a, this is a daily podcast, but every so often I'm also the interviewee and it's fun on both ends. And what's cool is that mm-hmm. for people listening, um, this podcast that you're listening to right now is actually hosted on Transistor. So let's actually kind of, kind of dive into what you're working on. So, so what is Transistor for people that, that for pe- sorry, Transistor.fm for people that don't know what it is? Yeah, it's a podcast hosting and analytics platform. Every time you click play in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, uh, it downloads that audio file or streams that audio file from a podcast hosting provider somewhere. So just like you need website hosting for your website, you need podcast hosting for your podcast. A lot of folks think you just upload it to Spotify, uh, but that's not how it works. So yeah, we're in the podcast hosting game. And I uh, started the company with my friend, John Buda back in uh, January of 2018. So yeah, we've been going, it'll be, what'll it be now, two years or three years? It'll, it'll be, in, in, in next January, it's, it'll probably be three years because 2021. Years. Right? Yeah. Wow. Okay. It feels like just yesterday, but yeah. So we've been bootstrapping it for the past almost three years, I guess. And uh, we've been working full time on it since, oh, now I'm going to get my numbers wrong. I think April, 2019 is when I came on full time. And I think John followed in August. So I definitely want to ask about the transition to full-time. But before that, um, we'd love to hear why did you decide to start uh, this type of company in, in 2018? Um, and uh, kind of what was the initial motivation for wanting to get into this market? Yeah, so it was seeing a rising 
wave of opportunity. Uh, I'd been podcasting since 2012 and John had built a, another podcasting app um, before and uh, had a falling out with that co-founder. And um, so both of us had been in podcasting and for years we were kind of like, ah, it's still not a great market. It's mostly hobbyists and DIYers. But then there was a number of things that happened that changed our mind. The serial podcast became really popular. And with that popularity, there started to be like media think pieces on it almost every week. New York Times, you know, Time Magazine, the Washington Post are all writing about it a lot. Especially, I think, because a lot of journalists were seeing it, seeing it as a, a, an opportunity for them as well. And then I also noticed a lot of businesses investing in podcasting. So Basecamp, which is a relatively small company, I think they have 30-some employees, maybe 50, uh, they hired two full-time people to do their podcast and then created a little studio in their Chicago office. And I figured, man, that, that must be at least 200 grand a year uh, just for podcasting. And Cards Against Humanity, which was our first customer, uh, they'd made a big investment in podcasting. They had like three or four studios in their office. Um, they funded a whole year of the Good News podcast, which was our first customer. So seeing all of these things kind of add up. Uh, oh, and then the other one was just, I just knew tons of people who wanted to start a podcast or already had one. And... Uh, when you know a lot of people that are already paying for something, they're already in motion. I don't have to, you know, invent something new that nobody's ever seen before and convince them it's a good idea and get them to pay for it. It was like, I already know people who are doing this, who are in motion. And John and I just seemed well positioned given our history and our skills and, you know, everything to, and our connections to be able to, tackle this market, even though there were other competitors that had been doing it for, you know, years and years. Um, and uh, all of that kind of combined made us feel like it was a good, if we were surfing, it was a good wave to paddle out to and to try to catch. Well, clearly it's going well, just by the fact that you mentioned, I'm going to get the months wrong, but at some point in 2019, you decided to you, you were able to do this full time, which obviously says a lot. Um, tell me about that. How did you like, did you always want to do it full time from the get or what did it start as a hobby and you know, it turned into something else, but more so what I'm interested in is like, how do you know, like that moment was the time to jump full time? What was your, I mean, you don't have to share any revenue numbers, but like, how'd you know, you know, like what was your risk profile? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, we're pretty risk adverse. Um, Okay, I just found it now. I have a blog post on my site, justinjackson.ca, 2019 year in review. And I mean, we started it wanting this to be the full-time thing. I'd been doing uh, my own kind of independent business since I went full-time. I had a course called Marketing for Developers that I went full-time on in 2016. And in 2014, I'd become a full-time consultant. So I'd been kind of on this path and my destination was always going to be, I want to be running a business again. And 
uh, you know, all those other things were kind of stepping stones to it. And then this opportunity came along with John. We'd actually tried a different software product like a couple of years before and it didn't work. And so around April, 2019, you know, my other business, I'd really been letting, I, it had been suffering because in the course business, you always have to like relaunch something new. And so I was like giving 90% of my time to Transistor, but not getting paid for it. And John said, why don't we start paying you now? And then when I come full time, we'll just backfill what I, the, the, you know, the salary I missed while you were getting paid. And so I think April, 2019, uh, it wasn't a ton of money then. I think it was like 5K a month or something um, that I was getting paid. But that 5K just gave me so much peace and calm just knowing I had a bare minimum of money coming in that I could like live on. And it gave me enough calm to feel like, okay, I can just commit to this and not worry about it. The other thing that helped is that we had really strong growth numbers month over month. And with SaaS, as long as you're not losing a ton of revenue to churn every month, you know next month is probably going to be the same or better than this month. And so that was reassuring too. Again, very different than consulting, which I'd done before. And the course like launch model where you're always launching something else. It's just like, instead of having to rebuild everything every time, you've got this thing that's just always going, it's sustainable. So yeah, um, we were at about 10K in MRR when I went full-time in April and then 19K in MRR when John went full-time in July. That's, that's super helpful to know. And I think people listening, a, a lot of them are working on stuff that is part-time and they are, you know, everyone always wonders when's the right time, you know? And the, the answer is like, there's never the right time. It's just the time. And the time you pick is like, is, you know, the time, you know, that's when you decide and you make it work. Mm -hmm. um, it really so, depends yeah. on your, your context. It depends on your stage of life. For me, I mean, maybe if I was single and living in a 500 square foot apartment that only cost me, you know, 500 bucks a month, I would have gone full time at a thousand dollars. Uh, you know, as soon as we could pay me a thousand dollars a month. Um, I, you know, I've got a family, I've got four kids, I've got a mortgage and John has a mortgage too. And so, uh, the decision there was, you know, we had to, we definitely wanted to see some level of sustainability before we made the jump. The challenge with making the jump too early is you put so much pressure on yourself and you can easily slip into desperation where you're just cr um, clawing at like, oh, I desperately need more revenue. And desperation does not produce good thinking or good creative thinking. And so for us, we, we didn't want to make the shift until we had a comfortable amount of margin in order to do so. And um, yeah, we felt like, okay, well, we're making 10K a month. We can pay Justin five of that and we'll be okay. And then, oh, we're making almost 20K a month. We can pay John you know, whatever it was, five, eight K a month. Um, and we'll be okay. 
Um, and we had some money in the bank just accrued from, you know, uh, previous months. So I think the, the time where you make the jump does matter, but it really depends on where you are in life. And obviously things, you know, if the revenue is growing, things are going well. And I am, as mentioned, um, I'm a user and the product is fantastic and I will continue to use it for a long time. Um, but I'm kind of curious now that you, you're both full-time and, uh, you know, you probably obviously continue to be full-time. How do you know what to build now? Like the podcasting industry is, I think, going to be bigger than it is today. I think it's growing, even though it's already pretty big. How do you like know what to build next? Um, even mm-hmm. right now, like how are you considering what features to build in the next couple of months? Um, how do you go through that decision process? So some of it is just based on what are we excited about? What do we think is good for the product? What will allow us to continue to have reasonable margins, uh, not just financial, but with our time, we don't want to add something that creates so much complexity that we then have to spend like a ton of time fixing it or maintaining it or answering customer support tickets on it. And so we're always kind of weighing, okay, but what is the real cost of this thing? Uh, John is, we're, we're very yin and yang, you know, like I've got 10 ideas a day and John says no to about 10 of them every day. Uh, he's, he's just way more careful, considerate, uh, and I think you need both. You need someone like me who's like kind of like trying to push things forward and, and really advocate for users and then have someone who's pushing back and saying, yeah, but do we really need that? Is that going to cause more complexity? You know, asking the hard questions. Um, so yeah, and sometimes it, we determine, like we just finished uh, private podcasting. We knew that was something we wanted to do because we were seeing so much inbound on it. We just had folks asking us all the time. We built a really basic version that people were using, but they wanted you know, to be able to generate individual feeds for a bunch of subscribers and have really good onboarding for them. And, and so we just decided to build it because after months and months of hearing people ask for it, it's like, okay, this one here, is something we have the desire and appetite to build. It is probably going to move the needle for us financially. And it seems like an interesting problem to solve. And so that was what went into that decision. Uh, we just recently did this, this redesign of our UI uh, of the user interface. And that was more uh, the, the design system we were using, Semantic UI, was getting a little bit old and hadn't been updated. And I had rebuilt the marketing site using Tailwind and I'm friends with Adam Wathen who created it. And so that was more a decision of like, I was trying to convince John to use it and then he started using it and he's like, oh, this is really good. And he's like, you know, maybe we should just rebuild our design system using Tailwind and that will, enable us to build new stuff in the future faster. And so that's what went into that. And that project ended up taking way too long. But um, 
yeah, now that it's done, we're really glad. Like we have no regret about doing it. Yeah. It, how do you even, this is, how do you even know what design, like, so I'm a, as, as mentioned a couple of times, I'm a user and I saw the, I, the design change, you know, for, for years it was, it was one design. Then one day it was a new design mm-hmm. and I can't tell you why I like it more. Like I literally mm-hmm. don't, I don't have the words to tell you why I like it, but I just do. And I'm mm-hmm. not, a, I'm not a designer. So like I, that, that's not even my world. So I wouldn't even know how to describe it, but like how, how do you how do you know that design will move the needle or or was it less design and more the thing powering the design which will enables you to build stuff in the future uh, like come take me into that a little bit sure i mean design does contribute to the overall experience of the product we have a lot of folks who come to us from libsyn and you know libsyn probably programmed their way into a corner um because they, you know, I'm guessing they're, they're built on an old like AS, ASP.net uh, system or something, and it's not using MVC. So they, they're all, you know, maybe they've hard coded stuff right into the like interface elements right into the app. Uh, that is very difficult and less flexible to update in the future. And so, and people do generally like things to look fresh. And so, you know, just like if you're going to sell your house, you give it a fresh coat of paint. Um, in the same way you want to give, you know, your web app a fresh coat of paint. In terms of an underlying kind of design system, have like something like Tailwind is just more flexible and uh, it's le- more lightweight. Uh, we like semantic UI used jQuery for a lot of the interaction elements and they're really heavy. So we were able to, you know, reduce the size of our CSS and JavaScript quite a bit. And that makes the app feel snappier. And um, yeah, and even (laughs) like just being able to mock things up faster using Tailwind, uh, like we both know it so we can design things in the browser and like show each other, uh, that will be faster too. So there's both kind of like utility considerations and then the way it looks. And I think the nice thing about Tailwind is it's pretty opinionated and it has some really good defaults. And so, you know, it's not like Bootstrap um, has the, the defaults aren't as good. Um, even like have a little bit more padding, a little bit more margin, let things breathe a little more. Uh, that's all built into Tailwind. And so, yeah, there's all sorts of considerations in terms of why I think it's better. Um, but yeah, I think web apps do need to think about just keeping things fresh, keeping it clean. We also knew that we wanted to, like we needed to, we couldn't change things completely overnight or people wouldn't know where things are. But for example, we want to consolidate some of those menus. And we knew we couldn't do that until we had kind of, you know, it's like, it's like a lot like a house, like, okay, to get, you know, to build the deck first, we need to put in some concrete pilings and, you know, uh, then we're going to need to do this and you kind of set the stage for what's going to come in the future. So that's kind of like really the, what encompassed that decision. Yeah, that makes sense. It's always cool to hear how creators and like founders and, you know, people that start companies make their decisions. Um, Cause mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, this might be wrong, but I, I, I do think that companies are always a slight extension of the people that started them. 
like the DNA is kind of like infused and, it, oh, for you, know, sure. you know, um, and it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just interesting to see, like there was a tweet from Austin Allred from Lambda school and he like, he said it, you know, we're X many people and I can see my own tendencies and like the 180th employee, like he's like sees his mm-hmm. habits throughout the organization, which is like, I don't know. I just think that that concept's kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I think if you are going to have a co-founder, you want to make sure it's like very much like dating somebody or marrying somebody. Um, you're probably going to be attracted to your opposite and that's probably a good thing, but you still need to have some level of compatibility. And, uh, yeah, John and I just work really well together and, um, the the things that he's really good at he does way better than me and the things i'm really good at i do way better than him and we can yeah it just it's um it it the transistor is very much a an extension of us together <laughs> and uh that's that's a good thing that's part of why especially with bootstrapped companies. That's part of why people buy. That's part of what they're attracted to is, oh, wow, this is, this feels different. And uh, that's an advantage. I I think the worst thing uh, independent bootstrapper, maker, whatever can do is to sanitize their stuff so much, like to be more professional or whatever. that's you don't want to do that. You still want to like a baseline of you know professionalism, but you want it to feel like you. You want there to be a bit of you in it, especially in our case, we've been swimming in these podcast waters forever. So if you know that sector, which you should, then you want to bring all of that knowledge and experience and your take on that particular sector to the product. You want it to be opinionated in some way. And for us, for right now, that's meant we're not going to have dynamic ads. We're not going to have all these complex things some other uh, of our competitors have added. We want to keep things as simple as we can. Um, We have this YouTube um, auto post feature that has been a real pain. And we're actually thinking about integrating with somebody else so that they can take that over so that we just stay in our lane and just keep working on these things, you know? Um, Yeah. So I think that's totally true. And it's important. You want your product to reflect who you are. Yeah. Very well said. Um, Let's look out for the last couple of questions. Let's look kind of a little farther out at what you're, at what you're working on. You know, let's say, 10, 10 years from now or 15 years or however far you want to look out. I have two questions for you. Usually I just ask one, but because you're in podcasting and I'm in podcasting, I need to ask a second one. One, mm-hmm. what is the, um, what does the podcasting industry look like in a decade? Um, where do you see it going? What's your vision for it? And then, and then secondary, you know, tying right with that, where do you see transistor in a decade? Uh, you know, what's your vision for transistor? We'd love to kind of both of those intertwined if you want. Yeah. I mean, I don't really know because 10 years is pretty far in the future. I can tell you, I, I hope that podcasting looks a lot like it does today. And that might be a little bit naive even, but 
you know, for me, what attracted me to podcasting was that it, it grew really slowly. It's been around for a long time. And every year, you know, it would add 10% more listeners. And that kind of sustainable, I don't want it to be like something that gets really popular and then just stops being popular. Just gradual growth and momentum is kind of what I signed up for. And my hope is that in 10 years, it would feel like podcasting is like, you know, maybe the way radio feels today, or maybe actually better the way blogging or YouTube feels today. You know, like blogging has been around for a long time and uh, probably decades by this point, you could say blogging has been around. And, you know, in another decade, if it felt like podcasting was like, yeah, like that's an important medium. It's like blogging or it's like YouTube, uh, except different from YouTube because it's not owned by everybody, by anybody. I hope I, there's a lot of people in podcast podcasting and they all, they're all venture capitalists, a bunch of vultures. They want podcasting to be owned. They want it to be centralized. They want to, you know, have their tentacles in there and like own the whole thing. And I hope that doesn't happen. I hope it stays open. I hope it's, it continues to be built on top of RSS or something similar. And, uh, and would kind of evolve the way that blogging and email did built on an open standard and it just becomes a part of the web and uh, it doesn't need to be super popular. I'm, I'd be happy if it wasn't, you know, uh, super popular. I think it still has lots of room to, to grow there's 550 million blogs in the world and there's just over a million podcasts. There's about 36 million YouTube channels with 10 subscribers or more. And so I don't know if podcasting will ever be as big as either of those, but it feels like, you know, it could probably grow. And my guess is in 10 years, there's going to be at least 10 million podcasts. I'm, I'm just guessing. And, uh, yeah, I hope it's still going. I hope it stays pure. Yeah, that's that's I love that. That's um that's a great way to talk about it. Like just be part of an, the internet, just like blogging, you know, it's just it's just what people do. You know, they they, mm-hmm. they blog and not everyone blogs, but people blog, you know. Mm-hmm. Um what yeah, is exactly and what what is for the last question, um, what is something that the forward-thinking founder, you know, uh, founders community can do to help you? Um, do you have any ask at all for, um, for the listeners, whether it's hiring, wanting users, you know, anything like that? Um, how can we help? Hmm. I mean, for any independent maker, any time you can remember who we are and recommend us, that's huge. So, you know, whether it's Transistor for podcasting or somebody else's app for something else, just remembering people and their, what they're working on and recommending it. So if you're sitting around in a Slack meeting and your boss says, hey, we need to start a podcast, um, recommending Transistor is one of the, the most helpful things you can do. And we get um, a lot of our inbound comes from just folks like you, listener, uh, who recommend us to their boss or to their friends. 
Cool. And then finally, last question, if someone wanted to get in touch with you or find you on the internet or find Transistor on the internet, are you on Twitter, LinkedIn? What's your URL? How can they find what you're up to on the internet? Yeah. I, uh, so on top of podcasting, I write uh, a blog and publish almost every week at justinjackson.ca slash newsletter. I'm on Twitter, the letter M, the letter I, Justin, am I Justin? And yeah, go to transistor.fm. There's a little live chat widget and feel free to pop in there and say hi or ask a question. Um, that's it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me be here. <laughs> yeah, you got it. All right, you've been listening to Founder Interviews on the Forward Thinking Media Network. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to that one. No, it doesn't have to end here. If you didn't know, we have daily podcast episodes. So you just subscribe to this RSS feed and you'll get another one tomorrow. Additionally, we have a free newsletter where we look at the last week of product hunt launches and we see the best we, we, we decide who the best products are you can look at this if you go to forwardthinking.substack.com and just put in your email you get access to this every monday we have a lot more than that if you want to become a paid subscriber as well meaning you can sit in on calls you can get access to subscriber only content you can get access to our paid community that is ten dollars a month soon to be fifteen dollars a month but if you just want to you know just check it out see if this is your your type of people i'm your type of person just tune into the podcast every day and get on that newsletter at forwardthinking.substack.com for free and see if you like it. And if you do, we'll be waiting on the other side on the subscription level tier. So thank you again for tuning in to today's episode and hope to see you soon. Thanks. Bye.